Today on the Matt Wall Show, the left is outraged at Ralph Northam because of some inappropriate costume that he wore 30 years ago. They are not outraged that he advocated infanticide. What does that tell us? Also, the Super Bowl featured a bevy of insufferable virtue signaling ads, um, and we'll talk about some of the worst offenders today on the Matt Wall Show. Welcome to the Matt Wall Show, everybody. Thanks for being here. Thanks for watching. Remember to subscribe on iTunes to get the entire show or uh, become a premium member of the Daily Wire. There, there. I, I'll tell you right off the top here that there will be a new law when I am dictator of America. I'm always, you know, I have a running list of laws that I'll be putting in place once I have seized control. If your Super Bowl commercial is not funny, your company will be shut down and everybody in your marketing department will be sent to prison camps and or they will face a $50 fine. Because I, I've had enough, I was watching last night, there were maybe two funny commercials the entire time. How is it that you've got, you're spending $50 trillion on a 30-second ad, literally, and you've got months to figure it out? This is, this is when it comes to ads, I mean, this is, this is your moment. This is the best you could possibly do. If you're in, if you're in if you're marketing or you're if you're in ad, advertising, this is your entire life has led up to this moment, to this 30 second spot between second quarter and and halftime um, right now. This is it. How do you not come up with something that's at least amusing? I mean, how do you end up with something lame and unfunny? That's my question. Now, I'll have more to say about Super Bowl commercials because, of course, it's a very important topic in a few minutes. As for the game itself, um, I couldn't be happier that the Patriots pulled off a victory. And, um, and, and, and if you cannot appreciate the greatness that we are witnessing from the Patriots and Tom Brady, then you, sir or ma'am, are un-American. Uh, you are anti-American and un-American. And I say that I'm not even a Patriots fan. Uh, I, I, I'm Ravens all the way. So I'm not a Patriots fan, but the Patriots have managed to be the best team in the league for like two decades in a row. Nine Super Bowl appearances, six wins in 17 years. The Steelers, by comparison, okay, they have six Super Bowl wins. Um, they That goes back to 1975. They've, they've gotten those wins over the course of uh, 40 years or more. The Patriots have gotten that number of wins in 17 years. That is impressive, to say the least. So anyone who watches football knows how hard it is, especially these days in the modern NFL, to be a good football team for two years in a row. Uh, most teams, they'll have a good year, then they have a couple bad years, and then they have a good year, and there's this, there's this kind of up and down, peaks and valleys, this fluctuation that happens because of the way that the league is structured. But the Patriots are always good, always. They are never not good. Every single year, they're good. For two decades, they've been good. They only missed the, the playoffs, I think, one time in the last 17 or 18 years. And, and that was the year that Brady was injured. And they still won 11 games. And they just happened to not make it, which is very rare for a team to win that many games and not make the Super Bowl or not make the playoffs. So if you're a football fan, uh, you have to appreciate this because you're never going to witness anything like it ever again. This, you're not going to ever witness this sustained level of greatness. No team comes close to the Patriots. There is no team that even that is even in their in their league. Basically, they should have a, they should really have their own league. There's no other team that gets close to them in terms of sustained greatness. And there's no player in the history of 
professional football that has gotten close to Tom Brady um, and and the, the success that he's had. So, oh, but they're cheaters. They cheat. Yeah, okay. Uh, they had the Spygate thing 12 years ago or whatever. What else? But what, that was, it's, maybe we should all move on with our lives. What else? When people say that, what do you, are you, are you really talking about the deflating the footballs thing? Are you, yeah, they, they've been winning uh, Super Bowls for 17 or 18 years because of slightly deflated footballs. Yeah, that's the reason, right? That's, a, that's why they always make the playoffs because of footballs being slightly deflated. Let's, let's lead, just, we'll just completely forget about the fact that so many other NFL players, including Aaron Rodgers, came out and said, yeah, I do that all the time. It's totally normal. Everyone does it. That's, that's, it's not a big deal. So we'll just leave that aside. We'll pretend that this is all about uh, footballs being slightly deflated. Yeah, I'm sure that you, right, you could, uh, if you had a slightly deflated football, you could go out there and win six Super Bowls, right? I mean, that's the secret. Come on. Don't hate success. It's un-American. That's all I'm saying. Um, All right. Let's talk about, so we've talked about success and greatness. Let's go to the other end of that spectrum. Ralph Northam, governor of Virginia. Last we spoke about him on Friday morning. He was in hot water. Uh, with only with conservatives and and um, people on the right, not with the left or with the media, because he advocated infanticide. Comments that, by the way, he never retracted, never apologized for, and in fact, doubled down on and explained that uh, you know basically explained that, hey, I mean the babies are deformed. What else are we going to do with them? I'm paraphrasing, but that was essentially his message. But as you know by now, on Friday night, um, photos surfaced from Northam's medical school yearbook showing his yearbook page and right next to his photo in his yearbook page. And um, this again is medical school. So he would have been, you know, in his mid twenties. Right next to his photo is a photo of two people, one in blackface, the other in KKK robes. Northam initially apologized and admitted that it was him and said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. It was terrible. It was racist, yada, yada. Um, though he didn't stipulate whether he was the guy in blackface or the guy in the KKK robes, which is kind of an interesting side note of which, which is worse. Um, neither are good, but have we decided which is, you know, on the scale of, of badness, which, which is, is, is it worse to be the guy in the blackface or the guy in the KKK robes? As I, as I said on Friday, if he was the guy in KKK robes, he could always just explain that he was that he was, um, you know, it was a Halloween party and he was going as, as Margaret Sanger. So, and I think that the left would actually appreciate that. Um, but then he did a press conference on, uh, over the weekend and he retracted and said that actually, he, he said, you know what, actually, I, 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 that, that wasn't me. I wasn't that guy. I, I, you know, I thought that maybe I'd been in blackface at the thing or maybe I was in KKK robes, but, um, but no, it, it actually wasn't me now that I had time to think about it. And his real, his real excuse is that he got his, he got his blackface instances confused because, no, he didn't wear blackface, blackface then, but he did wear blackface, he admitted, when he dressed as Michael Jackson and darkened his face with shoe polish, which sounds really unhealthy from a dermatological perspective. Um, this was a talent show, he said, and he danced as Michael Jackson, and so he thought that he should wear blackface if he's going to do that. Now, a reporter asked him, uh, if he's, he's if he's still able to dance like Michael Jackson, and specifically, can he do the moonwalk? Which is yet another important penetrating question from a member of our media, because democracy dies in in darkness. Remember, so we need guys in the media to ask governors 
if they could do the moonwalk. But it did lead to my, may, this may be my favorite moment in the history of American politics. Uh, this moment right here. Watch this. Well, you know, we always are asked when we're running, you know, what kind of things should, should our people look into? Uh, obviously, there's opposition research uh, on the other side. But uh, I will tell you, um, no, I didn't. I didn't ever really think about that there would be anything offensive in my EVMS yearbook. Uh, but this, this just literally hit me like a ton of bricks last night. It, it totally caught me off guard. So uh, it was something that I wasn't expecting. And, and to your point, um, the people that do that kind of research, um, perhaps they should have looked at that. And you said that the competition in San Antonio was a dance competition? Yes. And it was that you danced the moonwalk? That's right. Are you still able to moonwalk? Uh, <laughs> Inappropriate circumstances. My wife says inappropriate circumstances. So he was really thinking, he, he was really thinking about it. He was, he was considering doing the moonwalk right there on the stage in the middle of a press conference during the biggest PR crisis of his career when his, when his entire career and life are on the verge of ruins. And he was thinking about doing a, the moonwalk right then and there. And then his wife had to step in and stop him which which is which is really disappointing. I know we were all, we're all thinking the same thing. It's like I, we, we we wish the wife wasn't there because it, it would have been great to see him really do it, but um, or attempt it anyway. Uh, but he needed his wife. His wife was there to say inappropriate circumstances. It, the circumstances are not appropriate for that. Um, now, I have no respect for Ralph Northam whatsoever. I don't like him, but I can relate to that part at least. That part was relatable. Because as men, we all need our wives to tell us, don't we, when, when the circumstances are inappropriate. I rely on my wife for that kind of advice on a daily basis. You need your wife there to say, hey, honey, uh, you shouldn't moonwalk during a press conference about the time when you wore blackface. Don't. That's not. Or, or you need your wife to say, hey, honey, um, your grandmother's funeral is not a good place to organize an arm wrestling tournament. Don't. Don't do that. Uh, or, or whatever. Uh, this is why we have wives. So that was relatable. The rest was not. Overall, the press conference was a disaster. Northam's, Northam's defense of, um, no, you've got the wrong blackface photo. I wasn't blackface then. I was blackface at a different point. That defense was uh, one of the worst defenses we've seen a politician use in a very long time. Um, and so Northam is now an embarrassment to the Democrat Party. So they're all demanding that he step down. And he has very few defenders at this point. Everyone's come out against him. Um, they want him gone, and they want his lieutenant governor, uh, Justin Fairfax, to take his place. His lieutenant governor, who happens to be a black man, is also younger. You know, I think he's in his late 30s. So um, it's it, 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 and, and the other thing about, about Fairfax, which maybe people don't realize this, um, is that Fairfax used to be a Planned Parenthood official, or he worked for Planned Parenthood in some capacity. So from the perspective of Democrats, you've got this, this white guy who is now, there's this scandal because of racist photos, while his lieutenant governor is black. He's also more radically pro-abortion even than Northam is, so as far as Democrats are concerned, yeah, obviously get the other guy in. We got to get we got to get this we got to get this old racist guy out and 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 put Fort Fairfax in. 
It is just so instructive, though, to see how this has played out. Um, if you think about it, Northam last week came out and said that babies should be delivered and then killed. And that provoked no outrage, no criticism on the left or in the liberal media. None. I mean, really none. Nobody, nobody, no prominent Democrat or, or anyone on the left came out to criticize this guy. Um, it was either silence or agreement. Nobody was coming out against him. Total silence. Then some photos of an inappropriate costume 30 years ago surface, and that's what prompts everyone to demand his resignation? Think about where we are as a country, um, as a people. When a guy can, can announce that he's in favor of executing infants and his political career is in fine shape after that, but then some photos surface of a naughty costume that he wore 30 years ago in his mid-20s, and that's the thing that provokes all this outrage? So this is basically how it went. This is how the dialogue sort of went between Northam and Democrats over the last week or so. Uh, Northam said, let, let, let's kill babies in the third trimester. The Democrats said, said yeah, let, yeah, let's do that. Sounds good. Matter of fact, let's deliver babies and leave them to die. Okay, yeah, sounds good. Great. Or we could resuscitate them and then kill them after that. Cool, cool. Sounds, sounds good. Let's, we could do that. By the way, I dressed as Michael Jackson once. Dear God, resign, you monster. This is a disgrace. It's, it's probably worth noting, um, as I already did, that Fairfax, you know, more radically pro-abortion, as I said, worked for, worked for Planned Parenthood. It really makes you think, doesn't it? It makes you wonder where these photos came from. It, it's, it's very hard to believe. It's, it's impossible for me to believe that nobody in the media, nobody in the, um, in the Democrat Party knew that there were photos from this guy's yearbook uh, with, with, some, with somebody in blackface and wearing a KKK costume. Nobody thought to check that. Isn't that exactly, when, when somebody is running for, a, you know, for, a, for an office, like governor, they've got people on their side who dig through their past to find this sort of thing so that they can try to get rid of it or prepare, you know, figure out how they're going to deal with it when it comes out. And going back to look at old photographs and stuff, yearbook, that's exactly the kind of thing that they look for. Especially with the, with, with considering what happened with Kavanaugh. So you're telling me that nobody in the Democrat Party knew about this and nobody in the media knew about it. And then it just happens to come out only a few days after. It, it happens to come out while Northam is, is taking heat, at least from the right, for the abortion comments. No, I, I, I don't believe that at all. My, and this is just a theory. I have no way of, of, of knowing if this is true or not. But my theory would be that... Um, the Democrats, the, the Democrat Party and the media, and of course there's no distinction anymore between those two groups, they knew about these photos, they had them, and that somebody on that side of the fence leaked these photos because Northam was embarrassing the pro-abortion side. And he was embarrassing the pro-abortion side 
by, um, by exposing it, by exposing it for what it really is. So, no, it's, it's not that, that the Democrats were upset that this guy supports infanticide. No, that, that's not upset by that at all. They agree with him there. They're just upset that he came out and said it and that he is such a clumsy um, advocate for that position. They would much rather have a guy like Fairfax to, to, to take that mantle and that banter. Um, that mantle and that banner. There we go. They'd much rather have Fairfax do it. So that would be my theory. I have no information to indicate that at all, but it's it, it, that seems to me to be relatively likely. Because we always have to remember, on the left, with the Democrats, it's always, everything is about abortion in the end. That's what everything is about. Everything comes back to that for them. It's always about that. Said the same thing during Kavanaugh. All the heat that Kavanaugh was taking, this... Um, this, this smear campaign against him, all of it, all of these people coming out of the woodwork, it was all about abortion because they saw him as a threat to their so-called abortion rights. And I think Northam became, in a way, a threat as well because he was exposing that side and embarrassing it. And if you do that, and if you're, if you're on the left, if you're a Democrat and you do that, and you make the pro-abortion side look evil and insane, um, you're not going to survive. They're going to get rid of you. All right. So uh, the game last night was, as I said, a little boring. Um, And that's when you rely on the commercials to pick up the slack and entertain you. But that wasn't happening. And the halftime show with Maroon 5, that wasn't very entertaining either. That was no help. Though I I did appreciate how you had had Maroon 5, and then you had uh, SpongeBob made an appearance for some reason, uh, and then the dude from Outcast showed up, and Lil John was introducing them. So all you needed was like Nora Jones, maybe, or or maybe Good Charlotte, um, to make an appearance, and then we could have really been back in, in 2002 all over again. So that was kind of great. But then the commercials. Um, the commercials were were not only unfunny but also insufferable. And there was this running feminist theme throughout all the commercials which is good because the approximately zero feminists who watch football must have really appreciated all of the, um, all of the sucking up that the commercials were doing to them. So there were a lot of commercials like this one. Here's, here's one featuring uh, Serena Williams. The world tells you to wait, that waiting is polite, and good things will just come. But if I waited to be invited in, I never would have stood out. If I waited for change to happen, I never would have made a difference. So make the first move. Don't wait to be told your place. Take it. Don't wait for people to find you. Find them. In work. In love. In life. And most of all, Don't wait to be given power, because here's what they won't tell you. We already have it. Okay, so there were a lot of commercials like that, just kind of these vague platitudes, female empowerment, all that kind of stuff. And that led finally, at the end, it was kind of, it was all leading up to this moment, and this commercial aired towards the end of the game. 
When girls face their challenges, they're stronger. When girls work together, they realize their value. When girls get to play, they learn to win. Okay, so they literally ran a girl power ad. I mean, they actually had the girls shouting girl power. They ran a girl power ad with little girls in football pads during the Super Bowl. Insufferable is the word I keep going back to, because that's really what feminism is now. That's all it's become uh, more than anything. It's just, just, just insufferable. You just all you can do is roll your eyes and just say, "Stop already." We get it. You don't need to. You don't need to shove this down our throats every second. And why do we need it during football? Who is this? Who exactly are you talking to? Who are you? Who are you targeting? And by the way, are you really what? Is you really want gir- little girls playing football? I thought. I thought the feminists say, you know, don't we hear from the left all the time that football is dangerous? You get concussions. I mean, now we're telling them to put on football pads and go play football. Can you make up your mind? But if we're talking about insufferable ads, um, nothing could possibly be more insufferable than what we saw from the Washington Post. Um, the Washington Post. Now, as I said, to to run an ad during the Super Bowl is not cheap. I estimated fifty trillion dollars. Maybe it's a little bit less than that. But it's certainly a lot of money. Um, so you would think if you're going to run an ad, you, there's there's a you know the, the, there's a reason, you give it a good reason behind it. You're trying to move product, right? But the Washington Post decided to run an ad during the Super Bowl, and the only reason was just to kiss their own butts. It was just it was just to pat themselves on the back. They decided to spend millions of dollars running an ad to pat themselves on the back, and um, I hope you have your nausea medication ready because here's the commercial. When we go off to war, when we exercise our rights, when we soar to our greatest heights, when we mourn and pray, when our neighbors are at risk, When our nation is threatened, there's someone to gather the facts, to bring you the story, no matter the cost. Because knowing empowers us. Knowing helps us decide. Knowing keeps us free. Now, I just want to focus on one thing. There are a few things in that ad that we, people can, that we could look at, um, a few ridiculous elements to it. But there's just one thing that jumped out at me. Maybe, maybe it jumped out as you, at you as well. Um, there, the narrator, Tom Hanks, said, you know, trying to show us all the sort of moments and, and times when we need the media there, right? We need the, the truth tellers in the media. And he said, when our nation is threatened. And what did they show an image of to illustrate our nation being threatened? What did they show? Well, first of all, let's think. 
What is what, what comes to mind for you from, from, let's say, the last 30 years? When you think of our nation being threatened, when you think of a, in a, a moment, an event, where our nation really felt threatened, where everyone was, you know, where, where it felt like we were under attack, what comes immediately to mind? Well, we all know September 11th. So the Washington Post, when they're running this ad, trying to illustrate when our nation is threatened, we need the media. What do they show? No, they don't show September 11th. They show the Oklahoma City bombing. If you think that wasn't completely intentional, then I've, I, I've got news for you. There was, that was definitely a decision that was made. There was some real thought behind it. it wasn't, that wasn't just, you know, they were just grabbing for some random piece of footage to put there to, 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 to go with our nation being threatened. No. That's a conscious decision. No, we're not going to show September 11th. We're going to show Oklahoma City because Oklahoma City was a white uh, domestic terrorist attacking us, whereas September 11th, well, those were Islamic radicals, foreign Islamic radicals attacking us. So ironically, as the Washington Post is running this ad to pat themselves on the back, congratulate themselves, and um, try, to, try to demonstrate how necessary they are and what great work they do. Instead, they, they illustrated for us exactly the problem with the media in our society. It's exactly that kind of thing. It's, it's oftentimes, it's kind, it's kind of subtle, not very subtle. I mean, it's also pretty obvious. It's kind of subtle. But there's always that little bit of manipulation. I mean, they, they, they inject propaganda into everything. They can never just be straightforward. There's always, it's always ideological. It's always political in everything they do. This is exactly the problem with the Washington Post and with all these left-wing mainstream media outlets. It's exactly that kind of thing. Even in, this, even in that context, they just can't help themselves because they want us, the, the, the thing is that they want us, when we think about our nation being threatened, when we think about terrorism, they want us to associate that with right-wing white Americans. That's what they want that association to be. Not with, not with foreigners, not with Muslims. Absolutely pathetic. All right, I'm going to... Uh, get to a couple of emails here. Um, don't have a lot of time for it, so I'll just read a few a few of your emails. And if you want to send an email to the show, uh, mattwalshow at gmail.com. This one is from Riley. It says, uh, Matt, I've noticed that a lot of your political opponents on Twitter like to draw attention to your designation as a theocratic fascist in your Twitter bio. Critics will argue that theocratic fascism has failed every time that it's been tried, but I say that wasn't real theocratic fascism. And if we just tried it in our country, we could finally get it right. I would love to hear you offer further clarification and expand on your thoughts for this theocratic fascist regime that you envision with yourself at the helm. Thanks. Yes, I do. If you go to Twitter, um, you'll find that I describe myself in my bio as a theocratic fascist. And that is because someone sent me a tweet a while ago and suggested um, that I should describe myself that way in my Twitter bio, because in their mind, that's what I am. And so I said, okay. And so that's what I did. Um, now, I think I know what Riley is doing here. I suspect that Riley is not actually a fan of theocratic fascism, and he's trying to embarrass me by getting me to defend it. 
And that's exactly what I'm going to do. Because Riley, you see, I, I, I will answer your question, even though I suspect it was not sincere. I, I do envision myself as the benevolent, but strict and just dictator of this country. Um, that is my plan, you know? Uh, uh, and what will I do? Well, I'll imprison, I'll, I will imprison my opponents, absolutely. Um, I'll force everyone to adopt my belief system. Uh, I will squash any dissent with violent force. But, but here's the thing. Um, if you're listening to that plan and you're thinking, well, that's, that's not really, you know, I don't know if I'm in favor of that. I just want you to know that this will all be for your good. I promise. I, 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 I'm not, I, I wouldn't do it for my own sake. And when I send all of my political opponents off to prisons, that's going to hurt me a lot more than it hurts them. It's not something that I'm going to want to do, but I will do it for your sake, for your good. And I, I just want you to keep that in mind as you're being frog-marched to the gulag. Um, all right. This is from Steve. He says, hi, Matt. I'm constantly amazed how Democrats are increasingly getting behind socialism. If this is truly their strategy, don't they know that businesses and any person with a sizable income will move overseas or use some form of tax evasion to escape being robbed? How would they continue to fund their growing government without those taxes? Seems to me that uh, the plan wouldn't last long. I'm just shocked that they wouldn't realize this if they just thought logically for one minute. Is it really just short-term greed and power they're after? Can you explain what their logic is? Um, well, if they thought logically for one minute, there's your problem, Steve, is that that's too much to ask. But really, look, this is, you're asking what is their strategy? Uh, and of course, you say, well, they could just move overseas or whatever. Uh, obviously, that's what they would do. If there, if there was a 70 or 80% tax on, on, um, on wealth in this country, which is what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wants, Obviously, all the wealthy people are just going to move. They're not going to stay here and pay that um, and allow the government to bankrupt them. So they're all just going to move. Of, of course, that's what, what's going to happen. That is one among many other problems with, um, with that sort of plan. But yeah, you talk about their strategy. Well, it, it's, it's not about that. It's, it's not about actually trying to come up with an economic system that will work um, and that will lead to prosperity or whatever. That's, that's, that's not what this is about. This is just about, it's just about, for these politicians anyway, now there may be some ignorant, rather stupid, um, you know, Joe Schmo type liberals who really do want a system like this and who think that it would be a good idea. But as for the politicians who advocate for this, uh, for them, it's just class warfare. Um, it's just shtick. I mean, you've got Elizabeth Warren out there saying, oh, people, we can't, it's, it's, a, it's immoral for people to be wealthy. We can't look at all these wealthy people living their wealthy lives. Meanwhile, she's got millions of dollars. So you, wait, you think she's actually opposed to wealth? No. Most of these so-called socialist Democrats, most of them are, Bernie Sanders has three houses. So, no, he doesn't want to give up his, he likes wealth, he's, he's fine with it. But it's just class warfare, it's just about manipulating their um, ignorant supporters and followers. It's just shtick, is all it is. 
Now, I'm not saying if they were actually, if they actually got into power, I'm not saying that they wouldn't attempt to initiate some of these plans. I'm sure they would. Their base would demand it. And also, if they're in charge of the government, yeah, they would love to be able to take more money um, and use it to advance their own, their own agenda. But my point is that, you know, trying to outline all of the logical problems and everything, it, it doesn't do anything. There's no point because that's not the point to, for them. The point for them is just class warfare, manipulation, turning people against each other um, to advance their political agenda. All right. There are a couple other interesting emails. There was someone that sent me an email about uh, wanting me to respond to people who claim that Jesus Christ never existed at all as a person, which is an interesting email. And uh, you know what? I think I'm going to save that one for tomorrow because that's a longer, that's a longer response. Um, and so we'll get to that and, uh, and plenty of other topics tomorrow. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Godspeed. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam faces down his political mortality. President Trump heads to CBS, and we recap the worst Super Bowl ever. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show.